Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jamie Baines. Today's guest is Lynn Hughes of Comfort Zone Camp. My friend, Anthony Jackson, reached out to me and said that he thought Lynn would be interested in being on the podcast and talking about Comfort Zone Camp. He gave me her number, I reached out to her, and bam, got her on the podcast. I'm going to let Lynn describe what Comfort Zone Camp does, and I bet you'll be amazed at the number of kids that this wonderful program has helped. Before our interview begins, though, a programming note. Toward the end of the interview, my phone dies, and obviously the call drops. So there may be a small break in the conversation, but the phone reboots, and the interview continues. For some reason, I always seem to have technical difficulties at the end of my interviews. Regardless, I really enjoyed talking to Lynn, and I hope you enjoy the interview. And welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Lynn Hughes from Comfort Zone Camp. How are you, Lynn? I'm great. Good. So can you tell us a little bit about what Comfort Zone Camp is and what it does? Comfort Zone Camp is a bereavement camp for kids. It's for kids who've experienced a significant death, a parent, a sibling, a primary caregiver, or a close friend. And we offer weekend camps, and we are based in Richmond, Virginia, but we offer camps around the country, and we give kids opportunity to break their isolation and get back to being kids again and give them some tools to help them heal. And how do um, how did you guys come to be? How did you um, start this? It's, it's kind of personal and professional and passion all coming together. So I grew up in Michigan, and when I was nine, my mom died. She was playing tennis and pulled a muscle in her leg and died in her sleep three days later from a blood mm, clot. Good gosh. So fluky, fluky weird. And um, the next year, my dad remarried, and the year after that, my dad had a massive heart attack, and he died the day before I started junior high. My goodness. So, yeah, it doesn't happen too often, And um, but I went to summer camp those summers after my parents died, and I loved it. And I found out it was a bubble, you know, that you could kind of step outside of your loss and get totally immersed just with what's happening at camp and get back to being a kid again. So I kind of love that, and I love my camp counselors and wrote letters to them, and I even visited them in college, and I thought, well, one day when I grade, you know, go to college, I want to be a cool camp counselor. So um, fast forward to um, I went to Michigan State, and um, when I was at Michigan State, I went to a summer job fair and researched summer camps in the area to be that cool camp counselor, and I went to one in the Poconos, and I joke, it sounds like a bad TV movie, but my husband was from <laughs> Richmond. And he was at Virginia Tech, and he was also a camp counselor at that summer camp in the Poconos. So, again, that whole bad TV movie. And um, <laughs> but uh, So we dated long distance, and after I graduated, I moved down here. And I think everybody tries to make sense of adversity. So for me, you know, I, I truly believe the death of my parents happened for a reason, even as a young girl. And I also kind of felt like God's hand was on me. And um, I didn't know what that meant, but it kind of gave me this purpose. And then after meeting Kelly, we just loved kids in summer camp. And we would talk about, you know, what are we going to be when we grow up? And is this as good as it gets? And could we ever go back to camp? So all that combined with there were no resources when I was coming along. And then many years later, there still weren't any. So we combined, you know, the awareness of the need with our love for kids in summer camp. And Comfort Zone Camp was born. And that was 22 years ago. Wow. And you said it's nationwide, is that right? Right. So we started in Richmond, and we were the first 501c3 um, bereavement camp in the country. There were a couple hospices doing one camp a year, but it wasn't their full-time focus. And 
So we were, we started back in nine. We got founded in ninety eight. Our first camp was in ninety nine, and um, originally I didn't know if we could take it on the road. I mean, I kind of thought. So instead, we raised money for for kids out of the Richmond area and out of state to, and their families to come here. And then we were three years old when nine eleven happened, and there was nothing like this in New York or New Jersey. And we had just gotten some national media, and uh, we were in People magazine about three weeks before. Um, 9-11. So people were contacting us, asking us if we would come because there wasn't anything to help those families. So actually go to New York. They wanted you to come to New York. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. So we, we went as early as November <clears throat> of 2001. Uh, we took a busload of volunteers from Richmond and we went up there and held, we started doing one day programs. Typically our camps are weekends overnight, but this was like a one day program to introduce ourselves to the area, to those families, make sure that they could trust us, especially after experiencing such a tragedy. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did that in different parts of New York, New Jersey, and then we did turn it into um, weekend camps by April of 2002 and then um, stayed up there. And eventually those kids wanted to be uh, with kind of mainstreamed, if you will, with other losses to see how their loss compared to other kids' losses. So we opened it up after about three or four years to all grieving kids in that area. And that's how we, we expanded. So then we went to, so we were in New Jersey, and then we went to California, Boston, uh, North Carolina. And then we have some um, partnership camps around the country where people will ask us to do camps for a, a single loss type, like the National Fallen Firefighters. So we'll do a camp for kids who uh, lost a parent in the line of firefighting duty. So there's different camps like that that take us around the country. So you're so it's kind of like a traveling camp. Is you're that... right. We are a traveling roadshow. <laughs> <laughs> and generally, how many people are are traveling in your caravan, if you will? Like, how many people do yeah. you bring up there? Well, it kind of depends on the camp. So now, in most of the places where we do camps, we do a mix. We have a staff, usually staff of four or five people who will go, but then we have um, volunteers. We do, this is, we've got the pre-COVID comfort zone camp, and we've got like COVID version, so things have pivoted and modified, but pre-COVID, we did one-to-one matching so that every child who went to camp had their own mentor, um, big buddy mentor, and then we have uh, therapists who we call healing circle leaders who lead support groups throughout the weekend. Uh, so we have we try to get volunteers in a local area, but we also have it's almost like being a rock band, and you've got like you know your groupies who go wherever you go. We've got some amazing volunteers who out of their own uh, pocket pay to fly to wherever our camps are. So we always have kind of a mix of, of veterans, and then we have um, some new ones that are more local. But typically, we have about sixty kids at a camp. So if we have 60 kids at a camp, we've got 60 big buddies. We've got the staff, the volunteers. It ends up being a camp of about 140, 145 people. Wow. And, I know. And where, so where do, you, where do you physically go for these camps? Like if you travel to California or another state, do you find sure. a venue or a park, or how does that work? So we rent existing summer camps in, in their off-season. So we are doing camps all year long, but, you know, somewhere like locally, like a Camp Hanover or or Camp Friendship or Westview on the James, we would rent them um, on a weekend. We come on a Friday and we leave on a Sunday. And so we find, uh, you know, camps that have, you know, that can cook for you, have all the facilities we need, have all the um, fun elements of a bonfire pit or um, challenge course, things like that. And how often, now, I, I might have missed, I think you said, how often are you putting these camps on? Is this a weekly thing throughout the year? It kind of, it 
varies based on um, the availability of us to rent camps and what's going on with holidays. But we are doing camps probably about um, 21 weekends a year. And do you find that the, the camps you're running, are they eager to work with you guys? Oh, they're, they're so grateful. They're so, yes, they're so welcoming. They love our mission. Um, they, they are just so supportive, and they're kind of honored to be a part of these kids' healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they, they're, they've been, they, they're wonderful, and they really embrace when we come. We are treated kind of like as VIPs. And tell me the age of the kids that you guys work with. So we start at age 7, and we say 7 to 17 to imply high school. If they're 18 <coughs> and still in high school, mm-hmm. um, they're eligible. But that's primarily what we do. We also have a few young adult camps for 18 out of high school to 25-year-olds. Um, and then a current, uh, we also do now, as a result of COVID, we kind of had to figure out, you know, the grief was more prevalent than ever. There's more people with loss as a result of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so we created virtual camps. So that's also been kind of an interesting way to figure out how you how do you do virtual ropes course or how do you do virtual icebreakers or virtual healing circles and but we figured that out and they're they're really effective and we've gotten great feedback and then we also started doing some family camps so typically the parents are not at the camp weekend but um, during COVID we felt it was safer initially to have families come and sleep together and then separate them during the day and we do a parent track and we do a, a camp a track for the kids and then they come back together in the evening and sleep together and then what we found was that the whole family unit was healing and it was really kind of something good from something bad mm-hmm. that um so now that we'll we'll always keep those virtual camps and the family camps along with our traditional weekend kid only camps so um we've we've been busy all through covid i bet you have well, do you guys have counselors for these kids? Like, are they and they're doing camp stuff, and I'm sure that helps as well. Do you guys also have like um, mental health counselors for them as well, or is that is that not necessarily in your wheelhouse? Are you there to provide something for the kids to do? Right, we we do have mental health counselors there. They're not necessarily assigned one on one. What we do the the healing circles are what are the unique element, and they um, are led by mental health professionals. So um, each child is broke, you know, assigned to a healing circle, and it's age-based, and it could be anywhere from seven to ten kids in a healing circle. And they meet four times throughout the weekend, and the healing circle leader, you know, leads them through telling their story or talking about feelings or emotions or things that have happened at home or anticipating upcoming days or holidays or how to stay connected to their loved one. So they kind of guide the conversation and have different activities, whether it's, it's talking or that there's some clever arts and crafts that tie in with meaning. And so they, they do that four times throughout the weekend. And then um, they, they're big buddies, they're mentors that are assigned to them. And those are lay people. Mm-hmm. Some of them have had a loss and the mission speaks to them and others just have a heart for grieving kids. They all go through a training. Um, but, uh, and they're kind of the, they sleep in the cabins. They're their anchor mentor, shadow friends. They're their listening ear, and a lot of these kids are attention starved because mom or dad, understandably so, or grandma and grandpa, who's ever raising them, is preoccupied with their own grief. Mm-hmm. So they get to camp and they have this big buddy mentor whose sole focus is to put a smile on their face. And under that attention, these kids blossom and grow and heal right in front of our eyes. It's amazing. And do you find that the kids want to talk about their loss, or I guess it depends on each particular circumstance, but generally, do they want to talk about it? 
So it's, it, it, they do, but they often don't know they do until the moment arises. So mm-hmm. lots of kids, um, when they find out that they're going to camp, kind of balk at it because they know they're kind of going towards the pain. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, going towards sitting with the grief is not always easy. And <clears throat> so they might think, oh, this is going to be dumb or how, how emotional or heavy is this going to be? Um, but if they can get them there, <clears throat> the kids who often grumble the most, which are often the teenagers, mm-hmm. P.S., but if they can put up with the grumbling, once the kids get in the healing circle, they do. Nine out of ten times, they share their story. And you see that that weight come off of them because it's often the first time that they have told the story or that people leaned in mm-hmm. and weren't uncomfortable hearing about it because everybody gets it and everybody's experienced something very similar. And then they also get whatever they're thinking or feeling validated, that they're not the only ones mm-hmm. feeling that way. Mm-hmm. So it's just very freeing. And if they don't share, what's fascinating is you see them kind of leaning in, like, you know, their arms might be crossed and they might even be a little sideways in the circle, but they're kind of leaning in. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're kind of spo- a human sponge, sponging it up. And uh, so, and we have kids, they come year over year. So the first time they might not share. And then year two, they, they might very willingly share. And then year three, when they come, they're the first ones to raise their hand and be like, I want to share. And it's important that they do get to come back because as they grow and change, their their lens changes on their loss and um, their life circumstances change. So they see it differently year over year. So it's, it's cool to see them, um, you know, where they're at and how that camp is their place, their, their special place of people who get it. It's their people. It's their community. And they're encouraged to come back year after year. Is that correct? Correct. And do you okay. guys reach out? Do you guys do you form a network with them when they're there, like an email and phone network? We do, and we also have a lot of people, thanks to social media, who keep in touch. Um, so sometimes it's, they keep in touch with their their big buddies. Sometimes it's their healing circle leader that they'll create their own um, groups through social media to keep in contact. But we we they definitely do, and we keep in touch with them outside of camp. And one of the like biggest surprises now of doing this twenty two years is that how many of them we we do let them start to volunteer they can be junior counselors when they're 15. I was they, that was the, my next question to you. I was wondering yeah, if they came back to help. They do and then they can be big buddies when they're 18 or older. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we're at camp but we have as many as a third of the volunteers there are former campers. Wow. So that's the I you know just I did when I when I created this I never dreamt out that even being possible. So it's really amazing. And um some of them a lot of the kids have gone into mental health fields too. So whether they're teachers or nurses or counselors, um, they're they're kind of in healing professions, which is is really interesting as well. That's amazing, absolutely. I'm sure, like you said, you couldn't just fathom what it would turn into and how it would just you know kind of ripple effect out to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And now, is this? Do kids or parents have to pay for this? Such a good question. I'm so glad you asked it. We do everything free of charge at no cost to the, the families. We just don't want, they already have enough of an emotional burden that they're dealing with. We didn't want the cost to be another layer or a deterrent. Um, so we camp, we, we fundraise all year long. It does cost $600 for a weekend. It costs comfort zone. So we're always in a fundraising mode, but it does not cost the families anything. And do you have a lot of people who donate and want to, share with their either their money or their time? I know you get people who want to share their time, but do you have a, a decent amount of people who like to contribute? We do. We, we, we have a lot of wonderful and loyal donors. Sometimes it's the camper families trying to pay it forward, what was given to them so another child can experience it. 
sometimes it's uh it's it's people who cannot volunteer at this season of their life or maybe camp and bugs and uh you know <laughs> sleeping in cabins may not be their thing but they love the mission mm-hmm. and they and the demonstrated proof of um seeing these kids heal as a result of being involved so that um and sometimes it's businesses uh, so we have all sorts of um of donors but we can always use new ones too and how how do people go about donating to you guys Sure. We, uh, the best way is going to our website, and um, the website is comfortzonecamp.org, and that there's all different types of electronic ways um, to donate, but of course we'll still take a check in the mail. <laughs> and probably the most important question is, how do kids and families find you guys also through the website? If they, if they have had a loss, um, how do they get in touch with you guys to let you know about it? So the website is definitely... Uh, the the biggest um, portal to find out all the different information and you can actually register to become a camper you can see the camp calendar also to sign up to become a volunteer and to get trained um, so that's kind of the best place but uh, we also you know telling somebody I mean when when somebody experiences a loss whether it's in your family or a neighbor or a friend we all feel kind of helpless and we all want to do. And, you know, beyond just sending a casserole, I mean, this is a tangible thing. Mm -hmm. It's proven. It's been around a long time. You know, let them know, spread the word. We, we try to work a lot with uh, schools and teachers and school counselors and therapists and pediatricians and, um, you know, try to do a lot of outreach and awareness, but um, certainly being on, on people's radar and people sharing it, um, you know, it, that's, it, it really helps to create that awareness and let people know so that they can start that healing. Do you work with, like, hospitals and police departments as well so that the, the detectives and, like, the doctors and nurses and everything know about you guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we've, we've had some wonderful volunteers that have come through the police department and uh, we have one um, police department, um, one police detective right now who's very involved. It's been actually, he's been involved since he was uh, in college, but yeah, we love, um, you know, any trying to let everybody know about the resources and doing podcasts like this is very helpful to get the word out. So we hope um, people will, will let people know or ask questions or try to get involved. What is what would be the one thing that you want people to take away from this um, interviewing you guys? Just that just that you guys are out there. You're there to help people and don't hesitate to contact you guys. And I would say, in addition to that, a lot of sometimes people think that a child has to be doing badly or being in crisis to come to camp. So sometimes parents will find out about them. They'll be like, "Oh, they're fine." Or we even had a dad one time said, "Oh, they're fine. They they go to Girl Scouts." And I just think knowing that kids grieve and they grieve differently than adults they don't wear black they don't mourn 24 7 it does not mirror adult grief Mm -hmm. they grieve in short little bursts but they are grieving and they put on a mask because they don't want to look different than other kids Mm -hmm. so to let them you know that that to have them they don't have to be doing badly to come they don't have to be in crisis but for them to like even if they come for five minutes they visually see 60 other kids who've had a loss they might not have ever met anybody else in their class or their school who've had a significant death. So that realization in, within five minutes of being there that I'm not alone um, changes them. And then hearing those stories in the healing circle, again, whatever their loss type is or whatever they're thinking or feeling, they get that validated that whatever they're thinking or feeling is okay and that, again, they're not alone. So it it does wonders for them and um, truly, um, you know, you still there? I think I might have lost her. Just everybody, hold on a second. Let me see if I can get her back. 
Hold on. <clears throat> Hang in there. We're having some a few technical difficulties here. Hold on, guys. Oh, it looks like my Apple phone decided to take a little nap. <clears throat> so, we'll just stand by here for just a minute. And let me put this on pause until we come right back. So, just stand by. All right, guys. I'm back. My cell phone cut off. Lynn's did not. So, Lynn, are you there? I am. All right. Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> so... <laughs> As we're we're kind of closing it out, and you just wanted people to know about how kids, um, their grief does not mirror adult grief. Right, and so adults sometimes dismiss it because they're not wearing black in twenty four seven, and kids don't need to be doing badly to come to camp. It's so important for them to meet others who are experiencing similar losses and have similar feelings. And that it also frees them to get back to being a kid again. So that would be my message that um, that camp does a world of good for all grieving kids. I think it's just an amazing, amazing job. And I'm glad it's grown um, beyond what you thought that it ever would grow. Right. At this point, we've helped over 20,000 kids. Wow. No that is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And you, I guess you're not slowing down. Like you said, with covid um, people are experiencing more losses and more losses, and people need you guys now more than ever. That's right. That's right. We it's we just feel very compelled to do more and to keep figuring out different ways to reach them. And yeah, that the COVID was not you know was not an opportunity for us to hold our breath and wait for it to pass. It was an opportunity for us to step up and figure out how to do more and how to reach people. That's awesome, Lynn. I think you guys are great. I hope people check out your website, and I hope you come back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I will talk to you soon. All right. Take care. All right. You too. Bye-bye. That's it, guys. Can you believe that Comfort Zone Camp has helped 20,000 kids with their grief? 20,000. It boggles the imagination. And Lynn said that with the 9-11 anniversary coming up, some of the 9-11 kids she helped initially are coming back to share their experiences with a new group of kids. Lynn and Comfort Zone Camp embody what I'm trying to accomplish with this podcast. Simply put, positivity. What can be more positive than helping kids deal with the death of a loved one? If you have any positive story you want to share, reach out to me through my website, dannyimpartnovels.com. I'm always looking for more guests and more good news. Until next time, look out for one another and treat people the way you want to be treated. Together, we can overcome all the hate in the world. Thanks for listening.